right. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Hey, listen, if you are new here today and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Will and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at the church. And uh, this morning we are in the second week of our four week series on prayer. And our passage today actually comes from the Old Testament. And we are going to be in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to please turn to Daniel chapter 10. Um, And Daniel is after the book of Ezekiel, before the book of Hosea. And we are going to be in Daniel 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. Daniel 10, 1 through 21. And if you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named uh, Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. Everyone say changed. And I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Everyone say greatly loved. loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. Uh, I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved. Everyone say greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me. I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. 
Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I, tell, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your high prince. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you that your word is so sufficient that I can literally walk off stage right now and your word will not come back void. Lord, it is not my explanation or exegesis of your word that doesn't come back void. It's your word that doesn't come back void. And so Lord, in light of that, in light of the fact that we believe that your word is sufficient, that your word is inspired. I pray, God, that it would be your word that is communicated today. I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be uh, my opinion, but it would be your word exegeted that is heard today. God, I thank you that your word points us to your work. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that this message, uh, this sermon, this series would result in people praying more. That's been my prayer going into this series. That's my prayer coming out of this series, that our people would be a praying people, not just corporately, but individually. And so God, I pray that that would be the result. So in light of that, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lead us now, guide us now. And we ask and we pray that everything that happens here this morning would be for your glory and for our good. And we ask all this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Now, even though this passage in Daniel chapter 10 addresses a lot of different themes, I would argue that one of the main themes that this passage addresses is the theme of prayer. And what we learn about prayer in this passage is this that when we pray, there are numerous things happening at multiple levels, okay? Now, I'm gonna say that again because I don't know if you, you're picking up what I'm laying down. What this passage teaches us is that when we pray, there are numerous things happening at multiple levels. You see, our tendency is to minimize and simplify what happens when we pray. So some people, when they pray, they assume that the only thing that's happening is spiritual. There's only something happening spiritually. Some people, when they pray, they assume that there's only something happening physically. Others assume that when they pray, there's only something happening emotionally. But what this passage teaches us is that when we pray, there are numerous things happening at multiple levels. And I would argue in light of this text, that when we pray, there are a minimum, probably more, but there are at least a minimum of three aspects or three facets to our prayer lives. When we pray, there is a physical aspect, a physical facet. When we pray, there is a spiritual aspect, a spiritual facet. And then lastly, when we pray, there is a gospel aspect. There is a gospel facet. So for the next few minutes, we're gonna work through each one of these and get a better understanding of all that happens when we pray. The first thing though that happens, the first aspect, the first facet of our prayer lives is the physical realm. 
In other words, what the Bible teaches is that when we pray, not only is there a spiritual plane, but there's also a physical plane. So I don't want you to miss this because you can easily read past it if you're not paying attention. In this passage, Daniel chapter 10, you have a specific person using specific prayer practices in a specific place during a specific period. So, so let's work through this, right? In this passage, we find a specific person and that person is the prophet Daniel. And according to this text, he is utilizing and using specific practices in order to hear from God. In the text, we are told that he at the very least is doing three things to hear from God. One, he's praying, right? That one's pretty obvious. But what commentators argue is that the reason why Daniel is away from the capital is because he's actually retreating away to hear from God. So he's taking time away from his everyday life in order to pray to and hear from God. And then the last thing we see as far as practices are concerned is that he is fasting. Now, he's not fully fasting. He's doing a semi-fast. He's fasting from certain things. But what I need you to see is that there are certain practices being utilized by Daniel. This specific person is utilizing specific practices. He is retreating, he is fasting, he is praying. The other thing we see is that he is praying from a specific place. It says in the text that he is near the Tigris River, which if you know anything about that region, the Tigris River is several hundred miles long. So literally, that means he can be as close as 20 miles away from the capital of Persia or hundreds of miles away, depending on where he is on the banks of the Tigris. But not only is he a specific person utilizing specific practices, praying from a specific place, but according to the text, he is also praying during a specific time period. It says in verse one that all this is happening during the third year of Darius, King Darius of Persia. Not only are we told the year, but we are told the exact day on the 24th day of the first month, which is the month of Nisan. So we know exactly what year and exactly what day this happened. This is a real person praying to a real God about a real situation. Okay, so according to commentators, this would have been 537 BC, 537 years prior to the arrival of Jesus. So based on that, here's what is happening in Israelite history in 537 BC. In 537 BC, two years prior, we are told that when the Persians overcame and overthrew the Babylonians, Darius takes over, and one of the first things that he does is he allows the exiles to go back to Jerusalem. So after 70 years of exile, of being an exile in captivity, the Persians show up, and one of the first things that they are allowed to do, the Jews, is they are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. So because it's 537 BC, what that means is two years prior to this day, the first group of exiles were allowed to return back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua the high priest. So two years have passed. 
since that time. By this time, if you look at the rest of the Old Testament, the Jews who are back in Jerusalem have already cleared the temple and have already started rebuilding and repairing it. But here's what happens that a lot of people don't know. Once they start clearing and rebuilding and repairing, we are told that after they lay the foundation of the temple, they experience resistance from the people who lived around Jerusalem and they stop the work. And we are told, according to scripture, that they didn't continue the work until Haggai showed up 15 years later. So two years in, the foundation is set and because of the opposition, because of the resistance, they stopped building and they did not build for 15 years until the Lord sent the prophet Haggai to tell them to start building again. And so what commentators argue is that the reason why Daniel is mourning in this passage, that's what it says at the beginning, the reason why he is heavy hearted, the reason why he is broken over the people of Jerusalem, over the Jews, is because he's heard the report that the work has ceased. It's completely stopped. So based on the calendar, Daniel would have been in his mid-80s when this took place. And in the passage, what's interesting, again, we're talking about the, the, the first aspect, right? The first facet, which is the physical aspect. In this passage, we see that he has all sorts of physical and emotional responses to what's happening. So emotionally, he, he's up and down. He, he starts mourning. Then after that, he's terrified. Then after that, he's overwhelmed. Then by the end, he's strengthened. And encouraged. So emotionally, he's all over the place, right? Then physically, he starts off standing up. Then he's face down. Then he takes a nap. That's what old people do. And then he goes completely mute. Sorry for the old joke. But, but you know what? I'll say this, though. If you look in the Hebrew, if you look in the Hebrew, his fast was that he stopped eating jello and prunes. And that's really hard for an old person to do. <laughs> one, of, one of the guys on staff, uh, Jim, Jim Pritchard, he's, uh, he's, he's mature, let's just say that, he's, he's mature. <laughs> he's closer to meeting Jesus than I am, let's just say that. And when we were, this is back during uh, COVID, we were preaching uh, from Psalm 90. And I talked about how uh, Moses went from e uh, the wilderness back to Egypt. And he was probably in his mid 80s at that time as well. And I'm like, now again, we can't prove this, but there's a good chance that he got from uh, the wilderness to Egypt driving a Lincoln town car <laughs> with his blinker on the whole way. <laughs> it's in the Hebrew. I, that's, And he didn't like that joke. <laughs> so what we see is that the first aspect, the first facet of prayer is the physical realm. In scripture, what we find is real people praying real prayers to a real God about real issues. You see, but the problem is, 
is that that's not how we view scripture. A lot of us, especially if you grew up in church, you grew up learning about people like Daniel and David, right? And Nehemiah and all, and all these different, and Abraham and all these different heroes of the faith. And because we grew up hearing these stories, it's almost like these weren't real people. Like this, these were just make-believe fairy tales that are told us so that we can, you know, grow in our faith. But these, aren't, these weren't real people, right? But, but the reason why I give you all those details about him being a specific person at a specific time, praying in a specific generation from a specific place. I give you those details because what it reveals to us, literally, the, the Bible is so specific that if we want it, we can figure out if it was on a Tuesday or a Thursday that he did it. That's how specific the Bible is because the Bible wants you to see that these are real people. And I think for me, one of the things that keeps me from praying sometimes is that I look at these people and I'm like, well, what they want, those, those, they're not real people. Not, we can't really pray like that. No one's going to hear from God like that. And we rationalize our prayerlessness because we tell ourselves that they are different from us. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Daniel is that Daniel, his prayer life was marked by structure on the one hand and spontaneity on the other. And here's what I mean. We are told in Daniel that he prayed three times a day. That no matter what he was doing, no matter what he was up to, there was three times a day that he had already pre-planned and structured into his day. He was going to seek God, right? That's, that's the structure. But then you also see this spontaneity. You see him taking time to get away, to, to retreat, to, to fast and to hear from God. His, his life is marked by both. And I would say that our prayer life should be the same. There, there should be structure to our prayer life. But there are also times where in spontaneity, we respond to something or we take time away to fast and to seek God. You see him doing both. But the reason why I say this to you is because Daniel put himself in a position and in a place to hear from God. Daniel isn't more holy than us. Daniel isn't more righteous than us. Daniel isn't closer to God than us. Daniel went out of his way in the physical realm to make time for prayer. And I know that sounds super basic, but if we overlook that, we're always gonna use the excuse of, oh, you know, I'll get to it at some point. And my thing is, why is it always time with God that gets sacrificed? It's never uh, 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 Netflix binges. It's never watching the, the, the 47th YouTube video. It's never uh, scrolling endlessly on Instagram. It's never time with our kids or with our spouses or with our friends. Never that. It's always time with God that gets sacrificed. Martin Luther said, he said, I have so much to do in my day that the only way I can start is with three hours of prayer. So, so get this. He says, it is because of how busy I will be that I am starting with three hours of prayer. And for us, it's always the first thing that goes. And when we, when we uh, 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 make these people, uh, these, these heroes of the faith, they're, they're really not heroes. They're just normal people who made time for God. And there's times where those, the, 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 the prayer time was duty and there are times where it was delight. But regardless, they made time for Jesus. That is a very basic point, but it's such an important one. And so what we discover here, church, is that God 
cares about the physical. The physical realm matters to God. We are not called to be Gnostics who just ignore the physical, despise the physical. No, no, the physical matters to our God. He knows that we are made of dust. You know why? Because he's the one that made us. I forget I'm made of dust constantly, but by his grace, he does not. He is aware of our physical age. He is aware of our life stage. He is aware of our struggles. And in, in this physical realm, he seeks to commune with us, to converse with us, to understand us. Scripture says that he postures himself to hear from us. And here's how you know that God cares about the physical. Because there are a couple things that happen in this text that we can read right past. So verses one through four, it's all physical. It's all horizontal. There's no spiritual yet. There's no, there's no vertical yet. And then all of a sudden in verse five, the spiritual realm breaks into the physical realm. And God is so good that there are two things that happen in this text that reveal that the physical matters to him. The first thing is that he chooses to reveal the invisible. The invisible all of a sudden in verse five becomes visible. That's God's grace. That's God showing that the, the physical matters. He wanted, he wanted Daniel to see something with his eyes. But then the other thing that, again, you could read right past is that three times in the text, this spiritual entity, this being, he reaches out and touches Daniel. Three separate times. Again, doesn't have to. But he does. And the reason why that encourages me is because it makes me think of the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have lepers. And every time Jesus heals a leper, almost every time, he doesn't have to do this, but he reaches out and he touches the leper. Why? He clearly, we saw last week that he had the power of delivering someone with just a word. But with lepers in particular, he reaches out and touches them. And the reason why he does is because many of those people hadn't been touched in years and or decades. This was the first human contact that they were experiencing in years. And he touches them in order to minister to them, in order to show them that he cares for them, that he's with them. And what I love about this text is that three separate times, this being, this heavenly being touches Daniel three separate times. He goes out of his way. And, and, and here's the thing, guys. I, I, here's what I want to encourage you with. In scripture, it says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have to realize that one of the reasons we're going to talk about here in a little bit that there's spiritual warfare going on. But a lot of times when we don't pray, it's got nothing to do with Satan. I think we blame Satan too much. It's because of our own sinful, weak flesh that we don't pray. But we have a Savior that knows us and understands that and reaches out to touch us. A Savior who, who, who the physical matters to him. He, he sees it. It says in Scripture that we have a treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the Spirit and the gospel, the jars of clay is us. And yet our God knows that. He's not surprised by that because he is the one who formed us and made us out of dust. But here's the thing about the physical. Not only when we think about the physical, under the umbrella of the physical is also the emotional. 
God doesn't just care about the physical, but he cares about the emotional. He cares about our emotion. And here's how I know. Because Daniel experiences and displays the whole gamut. We said, he's mourning, then he's terrified, then he's encouraged. He's all over the place emotionally. The angel shows up, this, this heavenly being shows up and says, he's loved. That's at the emotional level. Do not fear. That's emotional language. He encourages him with the revelation. We serve a God who cares for and is aware of our emotions. Last week, we talked about this, that the, the father in the story, he is, is at the end of his rope. He's tried everything else. He's beside himself. He's discouraged. He's probably angry. Who knows the emotions that he's feeling? He's defeated. And, and, and we talked about last week that Jesus shows up and he asks the guy, tell me about your son. Tell me about what's happened to him. And we said last week, Jesus didn't need to know that. He already knew it. He knows everything. He didn't need the symptoms in order to give the right prescription. He knew. The only reason why Jesus asked the father, tell me your story, was because he wanted to sympathize with him. He wanted to empathize with him. He wanted to cry with him. He wanted to encourage him. He wanted him to know that he was not alone because God cares about our emotions. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to us, he says, do not be anxious. Implication being, you will be anxious. He tells the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. The implication being, their hearts will be troubled. We have a sympathetic high priest who is not only aware of our emotions, he welcomes them. You look at the Psalms and David's all over the place. But with every single emotion, he goes back to the throne. He goes back to God. Listen, I don't know what emotion you are feeling in this season. I don't know if you are feeling discouraged. I don't know if you are feeling abandoned. I don't know if you are feeling forgotten, overlooked, numb, indifferent, depressed. I don't know what you are feeling in this season, but God does. And God wants you to bring it to him. And guess what? He's not going to be surprised by it. Because he knows you better than you know you. I think we have inadvertently conditioned people that the only time you go to God is you get everything figured out and then you go to God. No, 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 no. That would be like telling someone, hey, get fit and then go to the gym. It's at the gym that you get fit. Hey, God, I'm going to get my stuff in order, and then I'll come to you. No, no, no. It's in going to God that things get put in order. The physical always reveals the spiritual. The reason why the physical matters is because the physical reveals, and in many ways is a barometer of the spiritual. We discovered last week that our faith is most revealed in our prayers. That we can say we've, we have all the faith in the world, but that faith is revealed in our prayers. Do I actually trust God? Do I actually have confidence in God? Well, you will know that by how often you pray. 
and if you pray. So, you, so again, you see a physical thing, our prayer life, revealing a spiritual thing, our belief and our trust in God. And something that, that hits me is that we, we talked last week, the father says to Jesus, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That, that's, that's literally my prayer every single morning. Because every morning, my default setting it's not, again, it's not like my belief shuts off. I, I just redirect it and put my belief in something else. My temptation is to lean on myself or to lean on whatever, my money or my, or my career or my family, to, to lean on something other than Jesus. And so every morning we must go to God and confess again, I believe, but help my unbelief. In, in, in Mark chapter one, Jesus, he, he shows up on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. He says, repent and believe the gospel, repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is here. And the way it's written there, it's not repent and believe one time, but it's uh, in the present tense. So it's continue to repent and continue to believe. The life of a believer is one of repentance and belief, repentance and belief, repentance and belief. And then in John chapter 6, when the, the, the religious leaders are talking to Jesus, they want to know what the works of God are. What are the works of God? And Jesus says, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. He doesn't say the work of God is to behave. No, no, no. He says the work of God is to believe. So in Mark 1, we are called to repent and believe. In John 6, we are called to believe in the one whom he has sent. And the way that we remind ourselves that our belief is in God and not in ourselves is through prayer. That's how it happens. I can read my Bible and not go through that process. Because a lot of people will read the word of God and completely miss the work of God. They will read the Bible and completely miss the gospel. They will read the law of God and completely miss the love of God. So the Bible in itself, I know that sounds bad what I'm about to say. You can read the Bible all day and there's something missing if you don't pray. That's what we see. That's what we learn. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3, the author of Hebrews says, for those who have believed, get this, he's talking about the rest, the Sabbath rest that is ours in Christ. And he says, for those who have believed, this is Hebrews 4 verse 3, for those who have believed have entered into his rest. And you're like, okay, amen. But then a few verses later in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, therefore strive to enter that rest. And you're like, wait, 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 I'm confused. You said in verse 3 that those who believed have already entered that rest. But then in verse 11, you're saying to strive to enter that rest. So, so what is it? Well, if you look at what the Greek says, in the Greek, verse 3, where it says those who have believed have entered. I don't know why in English we translate it that way. But literally what it says in Greek is those who have believed are entering that rest. It's a process that those who have believed the, the, the longer we believe, the, the longer we grow in Christ-likeness, the, the longer I believe in the gospel and my gospel amnesia dissipates, the more I believe the gospel, the more I enter into the rest that has been won for me in Christ. And so he says, this is so counterintuitive, strive to enter the rest. Work to rest. Make every effort to rest. Think about that. I quoted, um, I can't think of the person who said it. I couldn't remember in the first uh, service either. But one of the authors I, that, that I read all the time, first, I'm just blanking on his name right now. He says, the gospel, grace, 
is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. It's not opposed. It's, it's, it's so, 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 so effort is needed. It's earning that is no longer needed. So, so, so we have to work to rest. There has to be, I have to make every effort on a daily basis to remind myself that the work is finished. I have to wrestle with God like Jacob does. I, I, earlier this morning, I was walking through the hallway and I got really thirsty all of a sudden. I, I don't know why. I'm like, why am I so thirsty right now? And, and as I'm walking, I look over uh, by our give offices and there's these three jugs of water for like the water cooler, like the ones you flip over. And there was three of them. And I'm like, I'm thirsty right now and really can't do anything about that. Like there's all this water right here and I can't do anything about it, right? If I tried to drink that all at the same time, it wouldn't be good, right? Here's what prayer does. Prayer is like if the gospel, if Jesus is the living water, if the gospel is the water, prayer is like that, the, 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 the handle to that spout. That you, you flip it over and when you, when you pray, you're opening that up. And, you, and you're allowing yourself to experience the, the goodness and the beauty and the sufficiency of the gospel. And that's why it says that, that what, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, we, this is in Romans, says that the Holy Spirit takes the objective truths of the gospel and makes them subjective realities in our heart. The, the objective truths become subjective experiences. And I cry out, Abba, Father. Prayer is how all that happens. Prayer is how I step into the rest. It's how I strive to the rest. I remind myself that he is God and I am not. And that the work of redemption is finished. So I don't need to go back to religion. Can I get an amen? And I love that in the passage, it says that he, he says uh, 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 that he, 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 physically he's exhausted. By the time he's done, he, he's physically exhausted, but he's spiritually encouraged. Like, you know, you really prayed. When on the other side of it, you're physically exhausted, but spiritually encouraged. You know that you have wrestled with God. You know, it, there's been seasons in my life, I think about uh, 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 a couple years ago when my dad got really sick and was on life support. That was a season where I really wrestled with God. I think about when the Lord moved us from Chicago to Memphis. That was a season where I really wrestled with God. I think about the changing of our name and all the stuff that was involved with that. That was a season where I, for a long time, I just, it was just me and Jesus talking about it and praying about it. And I really wanted to make sure it was from him before we did it. And, and what's, what's beautiful about God is that I could say over the last few years, I don't know if I've gotten better at preaching, but I've gotten better at praying. Like I'm more of a prayer warrior today than I was three years ago. And give me that any day of the week. I talked to you guys about the Mary Martha thing. I'd rather be a Mary with a two course meal than a Martha with a five course meal. There's something about prayer. And when we really pray, when we really wrestle, we leave physically exhausted, but spiritually encouraged. So that is the physical aspect, the physical facet. The, the next facet, the next aspect to our prayer lives, according to this text, is the spiritual aspect, the spiritual realm. You see, according to this passage, when we pray, there aren't just things happening in the physical, the seen realm, but there are also things happening in the spiritual, the unseen realm. 
See, I don't know about you, but a lot of times prayer feels like a, 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 a walkie-talkie. I'm using a walkie-talkie and there's no one on the other side. And I, I make my request and I'm like, over. <laughs> Just static. A lot of times that's what prayer feels like. We, we, we only tend to think of prayer from our side of the walkie-talkie, right? The, the physical side. But according to this passage, there aren't just things happening in the physical realm. There are things happening in the spiritual realm. How do we know? Well, we know because when we look at the passage in verses one through four, it's all physical. It's all horizontal. But then all of a sudden in verse five, the spiritual realm breaks into the physical realm. And Daniel, he looks up and look what the man sees. Look what it says in verse five. I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like a sound of a multitude. And then if you jump down, uh, it says, uh, verse 9, then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with, face, with my face to the ground. My guy passed out. So he's praying 24 days. For 24 days. And on the 24th day, the spiritual breaks into the physical. The vertical breaks into the horizontal. And this spiritual heavenly being shows up and he informs him of several things. And all of them are so good. First, he tells him that he's loved. That's the first thing he says. You are not just loved, you are greatly loved. And he knows Daniel's name. Think about that. He's not just talking to people in general. He says, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Second, he tells him not to be afraid. Third, get this. He says, we heard you from the day you started praying. You may not know all that's happening in the spiritual realm. There were some things going on, but we heard you from the day you started praying. And then this is even crazier. He says, I am here because you prayed. Again, we can read right past that. He says, I am here right now because you prayed. And then lastly, he says, there is going to be a great battle. And he gives them this revelation of a war that is yet to come. Okay. Now, here's why this is so uh, encouraging to me. There's so much here. There's so much here. The first thing that stands out to me is when you look at this passage, Daniel, we don't really know what, what brings Daniel to, to this place, right? We don't, we don't really know what he's looking for, what he's seeking for. But, 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 but we, 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 like I said, we, we have some ideas, but we don't ever actually hear what he's praying. But here's what's crazy. When we go to God, many times, the reason why we go is either because we are looking for some sort of revelation, some sort of wisdom, clarity, or we are going to God for some sort of resource, right? We need something. So we either need revelation for our heads or we need resources for our hands. And there's a good chance that, that, that he's going to God for both. He needs wisdom 
on how to navigate all the stuff that's happening with the Israelites. He's, he's like, God, give me revelation. I need wisdom. I need clarity on what, what's happening. I thought this was your plan. And now the people that got back aren't even doing what they were supposed to do. What is going on? And so God gives him revelation. And we'll talk about that in a second. And he's probably praying for resources as well. He's praying for those people to be equipped and to be given what they need in order for them to accomplish what they've been called to do. But here's what's so crazy to me, church. So let's say one of the things he's praying for is revelation, for clarity. If you look at Daniel chapter 11, look, I've studied the Bible for a long time. And Daniel chapter 11 is so confusing. And I'm on the other side of the cross. So even the revelation God gave him really didn't help because he's like, what does this mean? What do you mean the king of the south and the king of the north? He got, literally, he got revelation about things that weren't going to happen for decades later. So, so if he only went to God for revelation, the revelation wasn't that helpful because he probably left more confused than anything else. And get this, if he only went to God for resources, which was God resourced the Israelites who are now struggling, who are dealing with all this stuff in Jerusalem, God didn't answer that prayer for 15 years. So, so, so here, here's what I'm saying to you, church. If the only reason why you go to God is for revelation or for resources, if that's the only thing you think prayer is, prayer will let you down. But what's beautiful about it is he leaves on the other side. And the one thing that he leaves with is he leaves with reassurance and he leaves with reminders of God's love. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have gone to God. I told you guys a story for a few, from a few months ago. I took this day to, to seek the Lord and to pray. And I wanted some revelation from God. I wanted, a, 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 you know, a, a, some resources for us to, to do what we have to do next. And all God said after all that prayer was, will I love you? That's all he said. How often do we go to God convinced that what we need is more revelation? and more resources, and all God gives you is more reassurances and more reminders. He loves you. Hey, new day, my mercies are new. I still love you. I'm still for you. My son still died for you. If you think prayer is only getting something from God, you're missing the whole point. Because in the gospel, God gave you everything. And many times what we need is not new revelation or more resources. We need reassurances and reminders. Can I get an amen? amen. So there are multiple implications that come from this spiritual aspect. So we're going to work through these. The, the first implication is this. When we pray, there is a spiritual battle taking place. Don't miss that. When we pray, according to this text, there is a spiritual battle taking place in the spiritual realm. In light of scripture, since the rebellion of Satan, there are heavenly angels and there are fallen angels. The fallen angels that follow Satan are strategically led by him and he runs a very well-organized operation. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and, and get this, what, what, it, what, it, what it teaches is in light of this, there's a prince of Persia, which would have been a, 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 a demon. Some say it could even have been Satan. There's a prince of Persia. And then later on, we are told about a prince of Greece. So what this passage teaches us 
is that not only are these fallen angels well-organized, but many of them are assigned to different countries and regions and governments and cities. And I think so often when we think about what's happening in our world and in our culture politically, we only look at it from the horizontal level. And we're like, why are things going from bad to worse? Well, one, they're going from bad to worse because God promised they were going to go from bad to worse. Things are going to get, if you, think things, if, you think, if you think things are bad, buckle up. He promises they're going to go from bad to worse. But also the reason why things are so bad is because there are spiritual entities at play. There are times where you look at politicians make decisions and you're like, that's just evil. That's satanic. That's why it comes off it is that way because that's what it is. That's what this passage is teaches. teaches. Don't, don't miss that. That how often do we get anxious and worried and we pray for the political uh, climate and never once think about the spiritual realm. Never once think about what's happening with the demonic forces. I've told you guys this in the past. I shared this during our spiritual warfare series, but so I am Cuban, Puerto Rican, and black. And my Cuban side, there's a lot of witchcraft. My, my Cuban side, there's a lot, there's, they're, they're part of a cult. A lot of them are still in it. And I remember when I would go to my grandma's house when I was younger, it, it, even, even as a non-believer, you would step in and you would feel a cloud of darkness. Like you could feel that Satan had been invited into that home. Like you could feel it. Like there's times where you meet people like that. That you could just sense it on them. And you're like, this is more than just a, a mental illness or this is more than just a, 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 a tough personality. Like there's something going on here. That's what the Bible teaches. And so what scripture teaches is that there are demonic forces and those demonic forces play roles or at the very least try to play a role in keeping us from praying. There are things happening. And this actually lines up with what Paul says in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But a lot of us stop right there at the beginning. We assume we wrestle against flesh and blood. So a lot of our anger and a lot of our anxiety and a lot of our worry and a lot of our planning is around flesh and blood. This is why, church, if you overlook this fact that there's literally a spiritual battle taking place, if you overlook this, here, here's what happens. You, 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 you think that the reason why you don't pray is just because, you know, like every other resolution is, ah, oh, I just didn't get to it. Some of you are like, it's hard trying to lose weight, Pastor. It's hard trying to work out every day. It's whatever your resolution is, if, if one of them is prayer, there's going to be way more resistance against that one than any other one. That's what this passage teaches. Prayer is like no other hobby or, or practice or resolution because Satan doesn't want you to pray. Satan doesn't care if we plan well. Satan doesn't care if we strategize well. Satan doesn't care if we'll, we are well read. He doesn't care if we budget well. He doesn't want us to pray well. I always thought that the one series Satan doesn't want us to do was the spiritual warfare series. I am now convinced that the one series Satan doesn't want us to do is the prayer series. Because you can know a ton about Satan and still not pray. 
So that's the first implication. The second implication, and this is a big one, is that prayer, get this, might change your problem, but it will always change your person. I'm going to say this again. The second implication is that prayer might, everyone say might, change your problem, but it will always, everyone say always, change your person. Why? Because prayer is not just about accessing a power, accessing a power. Prayer is about communing with a person. As a matter of fact, in verse 8, Daniel says that he was fearfully changed. And, And the Hebrew word there for changed means to be transformed. I love it that it actually means to be overthrown. He says that when I go to God, without even realizing, I am sitting on the throne of my heart. And when I go to God, he overthrows me. And he puts himself back where he belongs. So before any answer is given to Daniel, he is completely transformed and changed by this multiple day season of prayer that he's in. The revelation comes only after the reordering. It comes after the reorientation. So, so to summarize it, let me say this. Prayer is not about solving our problems. Prayer is about spending time with a person. And the more time you spend with said person, the more that person changes your person and your perspective. You know that most of life is waiting? As believers, if you're a Christian here today, and if you're not, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end. But, but, but most of life as believers is waiting to get to glory one day. Most of life is waiting. Most of life is wilderness. But if you assume that waiting is wasted, you are not going to learn things that God wants you to learn in that waiting. A waiting season is not a wasted one. But how often do we think that? How often do we assume that? One commentator, actually more than one, said, imagine if Daniel would have stopped praying on day 18. There were things happening outside of his control, outside of his purview. He had no idea. If, if he was in a bad place, he would have thought, oh, God's taking so long because he doesn't care about me. And, and, and this being shows up and says, hey, man, we're busy doing other things. We heard you. But remember, God's working all things for the good of those who love him. Not just your thing. We want God to work our thing. The Bible says he's working all things. Daniel shows up and says, we heard you, man. But there are things going on. Things that you don't see. Things that you don't understand. You know, one of the things that hits me, I brought this up during our, uh, our prayer uh, and worship night on Friday, that when I read Ephesians 1, Actually, when I read almost any prayer that Paul prays for people, Paul rarely prays for a change in circumstances. Rarely. You, you, you never see the apostle Paul say, oh, Lord, we just pray for a new emperor. Oh, this, this emperor is the worst and we just want to get our taxes. We just don't want to pay taxes anymore. You think homosexuality and things like that, the, the whole sexual culture we're in is bad? It, it doesn't hold a candle to Rome. He's like, oh, we just pray that it would just be pu- just purity. We just pray for purity, Lord. No. He's not praying for any of that. He's not praying for any of those things. 
He, he's going before God. He's not asking for a new emperor. He's not asking for the suffering to stop. He's not asking for the persecution to stop. He says, I pray for the church in Ephesus and I pray that they would better understand the good news of the gospel. That their eyes, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to the beauty and the glory and the sufficiency of the gospel. That's all he prays. When's the last time you prayed that for somebody? When's the last time I prayed that over myself? We don't pray that way. You see, one of the things that gets me is that we, so often you, you hear people talk about it. A lot of times it's like in men's Bible studies. This always comes up in, in like men's ministries. But it's like we want to raise up Daniels. We want Daniels to be raised up. We need, we need Daniels, right? Here's the problem, church. Daniels are created and formed in exile. Everybody wants a Daniel. Nobody wants exile. Because those same people that are praying for Daniels are praying for the second culture to come back. We just need Christendom back. We just need Reagan back. We just need this back. And we just need that back. Oh, if we could just get God back in the schools and we could just get, what, what are we doing here? I praise God every day that the church is getting pushed further and further into the periphery of culture. Because the further we get out there, the less we will rely on worldly means to accomplish godly ends. Why are we turning to government? Why are we turning to fundraising and business practices and leadership development training? Let's go to the only source of power. Praise God that we are getting pushed to the periphery because we are going to be forced to go to the only place we should have been. We're going to turn to prayer and we're going to trust in God. That's where Daniels are made. That's where Daniels are made. The reason why we've shifted to do what the Bible says about discipleship is because Daniels are raised by being disciples. Not through good sermons, not through great worship. We, we were talking about this on Friday night. Uh, um, uh, Pastor Tyler uh, quoted this guy from, this pastor from Korea. And this, this pastor said, he said, what surprises me about the church in the West is how much the church in the West can do without God. We can do a lot without God. But to raise up Daniels, who are going to be able to withstand the cultural moment that we are in, only God can do that. So praise God for exiles. Praise, praise God that Christendom is gone and dead. And I hope it never comes back. And the third implication is this. There is power in prayer. Everyone say power in prayer. How do I know that there is power in prayer? Well, if you look at verses 12 through 13, we see three reasons why there is power in prayer. The first reason is because, like I said, this heavenly being shows up and he tells Daniel, he says, you were heard from day one. That's powerful, church. That when we pray, we are heard. And I don't know about you, but I know that for me, my temptation is to forget that. That, 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 that I'm just, again, just talking into the walkie-talkie and no one's hearing it. But he says, you were heard. That's the first reason why prayer is powerful. The second reason why prayer is powerful, I've already mentioned it, but I'm going to say it again, is because the angel says, or this, this, this spiritual heavenly being says, he says, I showed up 
because you prayed. That's one of the things we talked about last week, that, that literally Jesus says there are certain things that only happen on the other side of prayer. He says, if you didn't pray, I would never have showed up. And the third one, and a lot of commentators overlook this one, and I don't know why, but the third reason why prayer is powerful is because remember what, the, what this being says. He says, there's a battle going on specifically with the prince of Persia. That means nothing to us, but Persia is where Daniel is. So think about that. There's a battle happening with the spirit or the demon that's over the kingdom that he's a part of. Prayer is powerful. We were at our elder meeting on, on, on Tuesday night, and uh, we have a lot of, you know, just because of how we're wired, we're all just trying to get, you know, we want to get into the agenda, and we want to get things done, and our time of prayer went longer than any of us expected, and I remember I was closing us out, and there was this part of me that was starting to get anxious, and I was thinking, oh, man, I just, I just, man, I wish I could just get through this so that we can get to the important stuff. You know, we got we to get done through prayer because we got to get on these, these, this next agenda item, and we got we to gotta cross this box. And get that thing done and that thing done. And as I was praying, the Lord convicted me and he said, Will, this is the most powerful thing the elder board can do. Prayer is the thing. It is where the battle is fought. It is where the war is won. It is the most powerful thing you can do. Forget about the agenda. Go to me. Prayer is powerful. And like I said earlier, Satan doesn't care if you plan well, if you eat well, if you strategize well, if you organize well. He doesn't care if you don't pray well. Prayer is the only thing, the only thing that he's threatened by, a believer on their knees. And like we already said, Prayer might allow us to solve our problem, but even if it doesn't, it changes our perspective. It changes our person. Like Sheeran Kierkegaard, he says this. He says that at the end of the day, I'll read it to you. I'm going I'm to butcher it. He says this, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. So the final thing we see is the gospel aspect. We've seen the physical, we've seen the spiritual. And I want to conclude this morning by looking at the gospel aspect, the gospel facet of prayer. Out of the three aspects, out of the three facets in our prayer lives, this is the one we get to benefit from and experience to a degree that not even Daniel in the Old Testament could experience. So, so what do I mean when I say the gospel aspect, the gospel facet? Well, to fully appreciate this Old Testament text, we must look at it through the lens of New Testament truth. To fully understand this random story in the Old Testament, we must look at it through the lens of the greater story in the New Testament. And that greater story is the gospel story. You see, there are so many threads in this, in this passage. I only have time to pull one, okay? If you want to talk more, we can talk later. But, 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 but I only got time to pull one, okay? One of the ways that we see the gospel story in this story is in the identity of the messenger. 
You see, I, 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 was, I did my best, but I said angel a couple of times. I, I was going out of my way to say heavenly being instead of angel. Because scholars have different perspectives. It's about half and half based on my study. Half the, the people think that it's Gabriel, and the other half think it's a pre-incarnate Jesus. I'll, I'll let you guess which one I think it is, right? I think you know what I, who I think it is. But, but there's Gabriel and there's Jesus. I would argue that it's Jesus. And I would argue that there's three reasons for why I think it's Jesus that shows up in this passage. One, Daniel's reaction. Two, the being's description. And three, the being's declaration. So the reaction, the description, the declaration. The first reason why I think this is Jesus is because of Daniel's reaction. And here's what I mean. In Daniel 9, we are told that the angel Gabriel shows up to Daniel, and Daniel does not respond the way he responds in Daniel 10. Gabriel shows up, and he's, all right, there's Gabriel. This being shows up, and he needs to be revived three times. <laughs> so the fact that it's Gabriel again doesn't make sense to me. But I would argue that the best evidence that this is Jesus and not Gabriel is actually in the description of this being. Because scholars say that this description of Daniel 10 is very similar to the same description of Jesus in Revelation 1. So in Revelation 1, 12 through 19, here's what it says. This is John talking. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I love this part because look at the reaction, very similar. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades, he says. Then he gives him a revelation. He says, just like he did with Daniel, write there for the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. So I would argue that this is Jesus because the description is very similar. What he says is very similar. How Daniel reacts is very similar. But not only is this Jesus because of Daniel's reaction, not only is it Jesus because of the description, but I would argue that the best reason why I think it's Jesus is because of his declaration, the message he declares. In both cases, Jesus is preaching the gospel message. How do we know? Well, in Revelation, it's pretty obvious. He says, fear not because I died and now, behold, I am alive. That's pretty obvious. But in Daniel, he says, fear not. And he says, why shouldn't you fear? He says, because you are greatly loved. The word there, that phrase there means highly esteemed, extremely precious, or most valued. 
You see, but if we are not careful, we can assume that the only reason why Daniel is being told these things is because he's more righteous than us. Oh, Daniel is loved because Daniel is more righteous than us. Daniel is more holy than us. Daniel is more faithful than us. In, in, John, in James chapter 5, it says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And so since Daniel is a righteous man, his prayers are powerful and effective. But here's the problem. The problem is that in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel himself admits that he is not righteous. In Daniel chapter 9, he says, I am a sinner like everyone else. I am broken like everyone else. So Daniel, by his own admission, is saying, I am no better than anyone else. And so the reason why Daniel is told by Jesus that he is greatly loved and greatly treasured and greatly favored is not because Daniel is better than anyone else. It's not because he's more righteous than anyone else. It's because Jesus is preaching the gospel message to Daniel. Church, the only righteous person in Daniel chapter 10 is Jesus. And he knew that one day the righteous would have to die for the unrighteous. So literally the declaration in Daniel 10, it points to and it previews the declaration of Revelation 1. The reason why Daniel would live in this moment is because one day the greater Daniel would die. The reason why this Daniel receives peace is because one day the greater Daniel would receive punishment. The reason why this Daniel received saving grace is because one day the greater Daniel would take on sinful guilt. In verse 1 of, this, of Daniel 10, Jesus, the, the greater Daniel, informs Daniel of a greater war, of a greater conflict that he came to fight. But what is that greater war? Is it the war between black and white? Is it the war between red and blue? Is it the war between rich and poor? No, it is the war between good and evil. The war that started in Genesis chapter 3, he says to the serpent, from the woman will come a seed that will crush your head. The war that started in Genesis 3 will one day end in Revelation 20 because we are told that that same serpent will be thrown into the lake of fire, church. That is the greater war he came to fight. That is what he came to do. He didn't come to defeat the Persians. He didn't come to defeat the Romans. He didn't come to defeat the Republicans. He didn't come to defeat the Democrats. He didn't come to defeat the rich or the poor. He came to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And praise be to God that our greater Daniel came to defeat our actual enemies, not our perceived ones. So yes, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. But now on the other side of his finished work, the, the greater Daniel, the greater righteous man intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. So praise God that those prayers are powerful and effective because he is the righteous man. In him, we are greatly loved and greatly favored. Because of the work of Christ, not only do we not get condemnation from God, now we have communion with God. In Jesus Christ, we have the highest security clearance in the universe. 
In Jesus Christ, we have access to the highest office and the highest court in the universe. And listen, when you go to God, when you go to Jesus, he might give you new revelation. He might give you more resources. He might. But he will always give you reassurance and reminders. In the gospel, this powerful one of them describes it as, as roaring waters. The other one describes his voice as a multitude. In the gospel, there's this powerful voice, whispers. And for those who are in Christ, he says, I love you. I favor you. I highly esteem you. So fear not. But how can this great powerful voice be that gentle and pastoral? Well, because in Christ, the Lion of Judah is also the Lamb of God. In Christ, the ultimate, the Almighty King is also our sympathetic high priest. In Christ, the one wearing the crown is also the one who carried our cross. And in Christ, we have a Savior who can relate to us in His, human, in his humanity, but can redeem us in His divinity. Amen. 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 Wow. Amen. What a sermon what a today. Sermon. Great, great. Goodness. Great Pastor Will. Yes. Yes. How you doing, church at home? Yes, welcome. We're glad to have you joining us uh, today. Um, my name is Renee Armstrong, and this is Justin, Justin Dandridge. Dandridge. Yep. Um, we are part of your Go Ministry team. Uh, moderating, we have Stephen and Kristen with us, so be sure to say hi to them. Let them know how you're doing. Let them know if you have any questions, um, if you want to respond in any way. We have a QR code somewhere on the screen. I'm always somewhere. told it's like... Up there right somewhere. Here, somewhere up here. So <laughs> somewhere over there. Scan it. Yeah. yeah, so scan that QR code and let us know um, if you want to respond in any way, if you have a prayer request. Um, that's, that's part of what our team yes. does. So we always enjoy um, getting your prayer request, and yes. we do take that very right. seriously. So yes, be sure to send those to, in. Yes, I was a privilege to hear from you guys and prayer requests and mm -hmm. getting, being able to send them and share them with our prayer team, which yes. is just a big honor and privilege to have. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so again, that's super cool. Um, mm -hmm. So again, send them to uh, good old Stephen and Kristen. Yeah, yep. they'll enjoy having them. Okay, well, let's jump right on in today. Um, in the passage, we learn that when it comes to prayer, mm -hmm. that there are at a minimum, <laughs> there's probably more, but yep. at a minimum, three aspects or layers to, to prayer, you know, that there's the physical, the spiritual, and the gospel. Out of these three, which one are you most tempted to either forget or just to totally overlook and why? Um, yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, I think it's definitely spiritual. Uh, I usually when I pray, I use our I use a prayer, the pray method. Mm -hmm. So I think that usually covers uh, just the gospel. So it always yeah. reminds me of, of who I'm praying to, um, how the Lord is God and I'm not. Mm -hmm. And that always just like humbles me and just reveals the gospel to me that he still cares for me. Yeah. Uh, but spiritual, because um, apart from physical, I think I'm always like, Lord, I need this or this is what's going on yes. in front of my eyes or in my uh, in my life at the time. But spiritual, sometimes I feel like it's invisible, of course, yeah. and I forget it or I don't think about mm -hmm. it. But uh, it's cool that uh, Pastor Will talked about Ephesians and Paul just quoting uh, 
uh, spiritual battles yes. and wars that yes. we're battling even now. So mm-hmm. again, it's super cool that we were able to talk about that more and now bring it to light to where now I can definitely try to remember that mm-hmm. uh, as we pray. So what, yeah. What about you, Renee? Oh, for me, it's the gospel. I think for me, it's so easy for me to think if I can control it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know you've heard me say this probably a million times. Anytime I'm on here, I'm always saying control is an illusion. (laughs) Um, But it's an illusion that I like, I think. (laughs) So um, for me, it's the gospel. Um, I I need to be reminded. Um, that it's not my work, that I'm loved before I do anything. God, um, I feel like he's constantly reminding me, hey, Mm -hmm. Renee, chill. It's already been done through my work on the cross. Um, So I do. I need that reminder. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Renee. Um, Next question. So uh, in the story, we learn that God cares about the physical realm as Mm -hmm. well, which includes things like our current generation, uh, Mm -hmm. our culture context, our physical health, emotions, et cetera, et cetera. How does knowing that truth change the way you pray for those things? Yes. Um, I think it helps me to remember that God is a God of detail. Mm. Like I think sometimes we, we get this, I don't know if it's an image or a thought or this idea that God is just like this overarching God mm. that, um, that isn't down in the details of our everyday life, mm. um, that we don't, that it's too small for God, for us to bring our emotions to him, our feelings, um, what we're going through, what our culture is going Mm -hmm. through. Um, So I think um, we can fall into that dangerous uh, rhythm of not bringing the details to God Um, or thinking that we have to clean ourselves up Mm -hmm. before we come to God, and we don't. Um, Scripture all of scripture yes. reminds us like, Hey, we can't, there's no amount of cleaning ourselves up that we can do to come to God. Um, but that he, he already knows what's in our hearts. Yes. Yes. Um, so I have really learned that if I'm thinking it, if I'm feeling it, I've got to voice it to God. I've yeah. got to bring it to him. And usually when I do that, I, I feel that, that release mm. and that burden of carrying this, um, something that, Honestly, I wasn't asked to carry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, mm-hmm. that's that's awesome. And again, I think uh, again, the Lord He He cares for us holistically. Like yes. He cares about every aspect. I mean, He's woven us in our mother's womb. He mm-hmm. uh, knows all how many hairs we have on our head. Yes. He knows us intimately, and He fully knows us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means He cares about everything and every fascinating aspect yes. of our lives. So, of course, uh, He you know cares about physically, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is awesome that we have a God that not only knows us, but cares as well. Yes. So, and what I love awesome. about the emotional piece or the feeling piece is, um, like God gave us our feelings. Mm-hmm. He gave us our emotions and he wants us to feel them. Yeah. Um, he doesn't want us to be controlled by them, but he does want us to feel them. Right. Um, so I think that's important to remember, um, when we, when we bring those to the Lord. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Um, so Justin, when it comes to prayer, why is there so much spiritual warfare surrounding it? Like, what is it about prayer in particular that, um, genuinely threatens the enemy? Um, I truly believe, uh, like Will was saying that, uh, the the enemy despises it when Mm -hmm. we go and run to our father. Mm-hmm. Um, in prayer. Um, that is probably the last thing he wants us to do in any way, shape, or form. And again, as Will was saying, like, he's going to 
uh, bring stumbling blocks to try our best to make sure we don't do that. And yes. part of the last question was our uh, time of day now is so easy to be distracted with um, technology, Netflix, social mm-hmm. media. Just, I mean, the list goes on and on. And yeah, that one tough. hurt, didn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was like, please stop now because as I'm bleeding on the inside. Yeah. But uh, it's so true. And the enemy will bring all those things um, and spiritual warfare uh, to stop us and disturb, discourage us mm-hmm. from praying to our Father and running to him. Um, but it's so cool that um, we can still do that regardless yeah. of how we're feeling, regardless if we feel like um, – we just not, you know, yes. into it at the moment. Like, we can always run to the Father at any time, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, preferably, I like to, you know, hit my knees when I pray. Just to uh, put my my physical body yes. in a uh, spiritual uh, posture as well. Yes. Um, but uh, it's just great to know, like, the Lord wants to hear from mm-hmm. us anytime that yes. we can come to him. So Yeah, and I love, you know, I think, I think Satan trembles because there is actual power in prayer um, that I, I truly believe that this is one of the weapons that that is uh, kind of our most powerful weapon and defense um, in all things and I do believe that the enemy does not want us recognizing that he does not want us understanding that there there is a spiritual realm right. and that there is a battle waging and that our prayers um, that they make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. awesome. And again, it's all in scripture that, it is. uh, again, there is a spiritual realm yes. that, uh, it's no joke. And again, yeah. we can't fight this, this spiritual realm and the, the entities that, mm-hmm. uh, consist of it by ourselves. Yeah. No, we, we will fail. We will every lose time. war every time. <laughs> but when we run to our father who yes. can conquer that with no problem, yes. um, that is when the enemy is like, uh, oh. Yeah, uh, I'm in trouble now. Yeah. So again, just being encouraged by this this series and this, this sermon mm-hmm. for sure uh, to know that we can run to our father. Yeah, time. it's super awesome. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I think we were talking earlier mm-hmm. um, about other places in Scripture where this is talked about. Now, even Pastor Will mentioned this in the sermon. Um, you know, we were talking about Ephesians, yeah, you know, yeah. chapter six. Mm-hmm. Um, and Justin, why don't you read that for us? I know, I think we had um, it. Pulled up. Um, go to it. All right. Uh, Ephesians 6. Yeah, uh, I can read 12. 10 or this 12. Yeah, let's go, 12. Let's go straight gotcha. to the big punch. Awesome. <laughs> um, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes. Um, uh, it's time encouraging. Like, yeah. I just feel uplifted when it's just reading that out loud for sure to know so that we're awesome. not crazy that mm-hmm. there is a spiritual yeah. realm and that there is um a battle going on that when my teenager and i are struggling <laughs> i have to remind okay. myself that you know that there is a spiritual yeah. aspect to this and um how i respond mm-hmm. um and how i'm prayed up or not prayed up mm-hmm. before that is it can affect the outcome of that interaction. Right, right. <laughs> yes. So it was good. So I get to work with Renee as well. Just a quick story that was so, so encouraging. Um, we were uh, in our office and she uh, stopped because she kind of felt herself about to speak from herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so cool and encouraging just to hear her uh, to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray to my Father in heaven um, and ask the Lord to 
uh, speak through her and not her speak from herself. Yes. So that's super cool. And yeah, that's just awesome. So I just want to share that. <laughs> uh, super proud and encouraging to, to witness that. Oh, as well, well praise right. God. I, so. I wish I could say it was always like that. Sometimes I think I let my mouth run on ahead and then my brain's like, mm-hmm, yeah, probably I shouldn't have done that. that. <laughs> Okay, well, as we close up for Mm -hmm. today, um, we wanted to remind you guys that we have a lot of community groups that are starting new this semester. Um, I think that there's a QR code on the screen for those, um, so you can click that QR code, or you can go to our website at Mission Church Memphis. uh, I'm sorry, missionchurchmemphis.com slash ministries. Um, if you live nearby, join us at one of our locations. We're here in East Memphis. Yeah. We have one in Collierville. Um, and if you're not here local, let us know. Um, we would love to be able to help you connect to a body um, that preaches the gospel where you are. Right, right. So that's yeah. it for us that's today. Thank you yeah, so much for, for joining, joining us. In, guys. And yeah. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.